it like we just prayed it, it we'll be at peace. And uh, the message this morning is on the peace we have with God, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. This morning I want us to look at the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Um, a few weeks later I'm, I may deal more with peace between us. This morning it's more about peace between us and God. <clears throat> I heard a little little kid singing this song, I got peas like a river, I got peas like a river, I got peas like a river in my soul. And so I asked him, I said, um, uh, you know, I got down on his level, do you know what peace is? And he said, like a piece of pie? And I said, uh, do you know any other kind of peace? And trying to emphasize, I wasn't saying peas, I was saying peace. And he said, no. And I said, well... That's probably like most of us adults. We a lot of times sing about stuff and we really don't have a clue. You know, what we're singing about and saying about it. How many of us really understand peace with God? Well, peace with God is a big concept. We probably have some, uh, some understanding of it. It's used, the word for peace, through the Spirit is peace, is used 92 times in the New Testament. It's, it's all over the spectrum as as different ramifications of it but it but it basically comes down to an inner uh state of well-being with god or with man this inner state of well-being that's hard to explain that maybe to to a little child but do we have that and we should have that as a fruit of the spirit's work in our lives this inner state this relational harmony that we would have with God, relational harmony that should occur between us and others. Peace is often confused with two other things, and I don't want to go there this morning, but some people claim that peace is just no rules, just right. And you know what I'm talking about, that whole idea of being able to just throw everything aside. I'm in my convertible. I don't have a convertible, I'm just imagining I'm in my convertible, tops down, wind's blowing in my hair, I'm looking cool. I'm out back somewhere, nobody around, I can drive whatever speed I want. It's just no rules, just right, I'm at peace. That's how some people would define it. Others would go completely to the other end of the spectrum and say, no, 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 peace is going into a school or a classroom where everybody is dressed in the same uniform. Nobody is stepping out of line. Nobody is speaking out of turn. It's just quiet and at peace. Because everybody's keeping the rules. And so peace is everything from lots of rules and regulations to no rules and no regulation. And I'm not talking about either one talking about wherever you are on the spectrum no rules to a bunch of rules do you have this inner state of well-being that you're okay with God and God's okay with you are you in harmony with God so let's let's look at peace that way because the fruit of the spirit he's giving us something the non-christian doesn't possess it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. We have a harmony with God, 
an inner state of well-being that everything's okay. If I were to die today, I'd die in peace. I'm not afraid of God. God's not afraid of me or meeting me or doing anything with me. There's this inner state of well-being and harmony. So let's look at some definition of, of uh, peace in that way. First of all, turn with me to Jeremiah 6. because um, And I want us to look at a lengthy section here. Jeremiah 6, 6 through 14. And, and think about if peace is, is harmony between us and God that, to the place that we have this inner state of well-being, then it's important that the most significant, most powerful, the mighty one, the, the, the bigger of the two parties, the primary being in the party is at peace. It's not enough for us to say, I'm at peace with God. We must also ask the question, is God at peace with us? Because you might be able to claim peace with God, but just be ignorant about God's relationship with you. And Jeremiah points that out. In a strong way. Jeremiah chapter 6. Of course, Jeremiah is one of these uh, uh, exilic prophets. He's, he's speaking during the time of exile. And he's going to watch the people of God be led out of Jerusalem uh, into bondage. And he's, he's preaching just prior to that here. Uh, Jeremiah 6 at verse 6 says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Cut down her trees and cast up a siege against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished, in whose midst there is only oppression. As a well keeps its waters fresh, so she keeps fresh her wickedness. Think about that. What an illustration. God said, your sin is as fresh as your water. Wow. He says, you're, you're sinning and you don't even see it. I'm about to destroy your city. Put a siege up against the walls of Jerusalem. That's, that's the message going down here. Verse 7, as, as a well keeps its water fresh, so she keeps fresh her wickedness. Violence and destruction are heard in her. Sickness and wounds are ever before me. Be warned, O Jerusalem. Oh, I shall be alienated from you and make you a desolation, a land not inhabited. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they will thoroughly glean as the vine, the remnant of Israel. Pass your hand again like a grape gatherer over the branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? It's like, you folks aren't listening. Who can I speak to that's paying attention? He says, behold, their ears are closed. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. But I am full of the wrath of the Lord, and I'm weary withholding it in think about that god says i am so mad i am so angry and i've been pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down and i'm i'm just i'm just about had it it's like my wife would say when she was homeschooling kids you're on my last nerve that meant you know one more thing i'm, I'm about done here and that's what god is saying Notice the people, he keeps going on going, he says, I'm weary with holding in the end, pour it out on the children in the street and on the gathering of the young men together for both husband and wife shall be taken, the aged and the very old, their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and their wives together, for I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord, for whom the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone's greedy for gain, and from the prophet even to the priest, 
Everyone deals falsely. They have, in the last verse, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace. But there ain't no peace. God says, there ain't no peace. Y'all been talking like the world's going to keep going on like this. You're fixing to lose your house. You're fixing to lose your wife. You're fixing to lose your kids. You're fixing to lose your city. I'm about tired of it. Y'all are not listening to the word of the Lord, but your preachers and your teachers, they are saying, oh, things are going good. Things are fine. Boy, we're growing. We're multiplying. We're getting profits. We can get more and we can get more. It says, y'all are even greedy for more. Your preachers keep preaching peace, peace, peace. But God says, there is no peace. It's superficial to say you have peace with God when God does not have peace with you. So the harmony's got to be a two-way street. The fruit of the Spirit is not so much dwelling on us finding pleasure in God. But it's, it's God finding pleasure in us. What could cause that to happen? You see, there, no amount of obedience on my part could earn or merit God changing His heart and being at peace with me. If the Spirit could produce that, that would be a gift indeed. And that's the fruit of the Spirit that God is granting to us something the world can't have and will never understand. And that is this wonderful, beautiful, inner state of well-being. I don't have to wonder if God's going to rip open the heavens and come down and destroy me and my family because peace has been purchased and bought for me through Jesus. And that's the work of the Spirit of God. And these folks in Jeremiah's day, they didn't have that. They didn't understand that. And I hope you begin to see the significance and the value of that. Uh, he uses illustration over in Isaiah like it's uh, 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 tossing uh, that we're losing. Look at Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. Uh, another illustration from God. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 says, The wicked are, are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up refuge and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Think about that. No peace, says God, for the wicked. You could run into a wicked person, somebody who doesn't know God, and they say, I'm at peace, I'm fine. That's superficial. That's you saying you're fine. But you haven't answered the question, is God fine with you? God says, you're not fine. There's absolutely no peace with the wicked. Meaning, no peace between God and wickedness. God is so holy, he can't even look upon sin. How could he be fine with you? And we don't think that way. Um, you've all had, what the Nelsons weren't here this morning because it's, They've got somebody at home who's got this churning in their stomach. 
You've all had a stomach that's not at peace, right? And what do you do about a stomach that's not at peace? Well, you typically put something in there. You know, either more food, because it's churning because it's empty, or some sort of medicine to, to calm it down. And think about, there's times where we need something in us, to be put in us to bring us to this state of peace. What we need in us is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit can produce a peace for us that we can't produce on our own. Uh, we're like these tossing seas, just churning up mud, churning up sin. As God looks at us, He just sees us in turmoil, seeking everything but Him, listening to everyone but His Word. And God says, there's, there's no peace with those people. One other way that peace is sometimes missed uh, by the sinner is look at Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. And we see it described here, this lack of peace, as a callousness. Ephesians chapter 4. For this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility, futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluding, excluded from the life of God because, here's the reason, the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart, and they have become, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So because they have become callous, they just keep sinning and sinning and sinning. Every kind of sin. And it amazes me sometimes when I'm talking to parents, especially this when this conversation comes up, and I say, you know, they're asking for counsel. How can I reach my child? I say, well, you need to be sharing Christ with your child every day. There's, there's ways to do that. Christ needs to be seen in your prayers, uh, in your thankfulness for food, in the thankfulness for the house. Christ needs to be seen in your education. You're going over what they're learning. Uh, Christ is, is, is seen in your concern. And, and you need to be presenting Christ just over and over and over. I said, your child is at enmity, of course, according to the Scriptures, with God. Fighting with God is a head-on collision. It's a different value system. And they, they stopped me and said, no, 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 no. Uh-uh, my child's not that bad. My child's not fighting with God. My child's just indifferent. And I go, whoa, indifference worse. What? Sometimes we think indifference is okay. I, I mean, at least I'm not fighting. No, indifference is callousness. Indifference is a state of being numb, too. Have you ever wrapped a, a rubber band around your finger till you, you cut off all circulation and let it sit there a while? You know, it turns, if you're a white folk, it turns blue, you know. Um, if you're black, what's it term? Blue? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you cut off all circulation. And it, at some point, you can't even feel it. It's, it's numb. So is that better? No. It's about to fall off. You, numb is not better than actively fighting. It's worse. 
And that's what Ephesians 4 is describing. Your sensuality is just growing and growing and growing. You've, you've, you've even gotten to this state of being numb and callous to sin. I'd much rather deal with a kid who's actively fighting God than one who's become numb. And sometimes we mistake numbness with peace. It's not peace. Again, it's very superficial to to describe peace from our side. We need to see how is peace being described from God's side because it's a two-way relationship. There must be harmony. Not just what we produce up, but what God produces down. How do we find remedy? How are we at peace with God because God is at peace with us. So next time you think of the fruit of the Spirit, think of this unbelievable gift God has given us in saying, when I say there's peace, there's peace. When I bring to you the Prince of Peace, I bring to you not superficial numbness or callousness, but I bring to you an, a, a relational harmony that you take into the courts of heaven with you. It's just awesome to think about this spiritual fruit given the believer. What can we do to develop it, to understand it, to encourage it uh, more and more? That's where I want to spend the, the rest of our time thinking about that. How do we develop this, this understanding of peace with God? Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 makes it clear this peace with God is ours because of Christ's work of justifying us before God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Because God has given us the ability to, to believe in Christ. We trust that what Christ has done for us makes us whole. It makes us right. What do we trust? We trust that Christ died on the cross as our substitute. Christ paid for our sins when he died. Christ shed his blood to cover our sins. Christ uh, atoned for our sins. Christ satisfied the wrath of God, which God was holding down and was about to pour out. Christ satisfied the wrath of God that was to be poured out upon our sin. Look at uh, verse 9, same passage, Romans 5. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. What are you saved from? You're saved from the wrath of God. God is weary with holding back His wrath. He is ready to pour it out. But then Christ stands between us and God and says, pour it on me. And Christ is our substitute, taking the wrath of God, the pain of our sin, the guilt of our sin, the judgment for our sin upon Himself, letting us go free. We have peace, we're just, we have peace with God because of that. Because Christ stood in our place. We have to learn to trust that. That's what we believe. 
Our faith is not a leap in the dark. It's, it's, it's a trust in the clear, objective work of Christ on the cross. That He did something on our behalf for us. He took our wrath. You know, it's amazing. You can ask, you can take a survey. What, you say you're a saved person. What are you saved from? Most people have no concept of this the wrath of God, God's fury of, uh, against sin. How Christ has spared us that by taking it himself. Um, John 14, verse 27, as Christ was about to go to the cross, he, he talks to his disciples about peace. John 14, 27, this popular verse, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Wow. I'm giving you something the world doesn't have, the world can't give. It's peace between you and God. You should never be troubled again. You should never be afraid again because God is at peace with you. It's a great peace. Look at Colossians chapter 1, 19 through 20. Again, a description of the peace that we gain through the work of Christ. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through, his, through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That was God's good pleasure, to send Christ to the cross that we might be reconciled, that there might be harmony in this relationship between us and God. You know, uh, when you go to a waiting room, see the doctor, what, why, why are you there? Why are you waiting in the doctor's office for hours and hours at times? And the reason you do so is because you're in hope that the doc will do something for you you can't do yourself. And I'm asking you to do the same with God. Wait upon the Lord. And wait and wait and wait. Why? Because we need Him to do something on us that we cannot do ourselves. We will not be healed. We will not be at peace unless He does something on us, to us, that we cannot do ourselves. He must pay for our sin. He must atone for our sin. He must cover our illness, our sickness with His blood and put new life into our system, breathe life into the dead man, taking away the sin. Uh, some of you, uh, we've seen it over and over in this church, you hang out. Some of you have been here 10, 15, 20 years and never joined the church. And I commend you. Some of you realize, you say, I hear week after week, salvation is not what I do, it's what God does. And so I wait. I'm asking God to do something to me. If that's what you're doing, you're to be commended. Sit under the preaching of the Word. Sit under the prayers of the saints as we plead with God, please do something in this person's life. They are hopeless and without God. They need God, and then they'll have hope, and then they'll have peace. And if you're here lingering, we don't mind. Linger and linger and wait upon the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. 
and watch him fill you with his spirit. Because his word's not going to return void. We see year after year the Lord work in people's lives and change and fill them with his spirit. So if that's what you're doing, that's what we're asking. Wait upon the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. God, I'm, I'm waiting. I need you to do something in me that I can't do myself. The good news is not that you can say a prayer. The good news is not that you could walk forward or kneel down. The good news is not that you could ask Jesus into your life. The good news is that God will rend open the heavens and come to you. That God would give you His Son. That God would establish peace with you that you don't have with Him. That's good news. And He says, just wait on me. Trust in me to fill you with my Spirit. You must. He told Nicodemus, who'd been in church all his life, Nicodemus, you must be born of the Spirit. Don't you get that? says, you're deceived if you think you've said enough prayers, you've read enough scripture, and you've come to enough church. says, you must be filled with the Spirit. And part of the fruit of the Spirit is peace with God. That's what we're praying for. And, and if you're waiting for that, great. You're right where you need to be. And that's what we encourage our children. Come, come. Come and sit under the ministry of the Spirit that you might be filled with Him and changed by Him so that you don't walk out with superficial peace. But real peace, peace produced by God's Spirit. So wait on the work of the Lord. It's worth it. Second, settle on being supported by the work of God. Look at Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Once the Spirit begins to fill you, we, we need to develop this new lifestyle of waiting and trusting upon the Lord. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing. So don't be in this state of anxiety, restlessness, no peace. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we, we need to, to ask God's support. Help us, Lord. We're anxious. God says, just give it to me. Just give it to me. Don't be anxious. Give it to me. L lay it in my lap. Hand it over. Thankful that I can handle it. I can take it. Oh, why, why do we tell God things that we're anxious about? We would do so if we value God's love and care and support. I happen to value that. God says, you value that? Give it to me. Let me take your anxiety. Trust me to make it all right. Between you and me primarily, we we'll, can look at you and others but it's okay if it's okay between you and God. Everything else is, is minor in comparison. And sometimes we get our, our priorities off. We talk about that in a minute. But uh, we will do well if we learn to, to say, God, some of my anxiousness is I apparently have forgotten 
you care for me and you love me and you've already established peace with me. I, I, I shouldn't be troubled. You told me, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. If God's at peace with you, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. And I'm, I'm, I sometimes miss that. I forget that. And God says, well, bring it back. Bring it back. Pray about everything. Thankful that I've already done everything you really need. Give it back and then watch the peace. Watch the Prince of Peace work in your life and take things from you. One of the first verses I memorized was Isaiah 26, verse 3. I memorized it in the King James back in those days. Let me read it to you in New American Standard. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, The steadfast of mine will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. I think the King James was, He who keeps his mind stayed on Jehovah will keep his mind in perfect peace. New American Standard is good. The steadfast of mind, I like that because our minds are typically unstable. I thought about that last night. My mind was so unstable. You ever have a night where you dreamed about 10 dreams? That was last night for me. My mind's just bouncing. And I'm thinking, good grief, go to sleep. You know, I got to preach in the morning. You know, sometimes your mind's just everywhere. And this is bringing this, the, the mind is, is, is so unstable. But if you can fix your mind, if you can stay on one thing, and you make that one thing the Lord, you'll be at peace. The steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because his mind is on trusting you, trusting in the Lord, fixing your mind on Christ. When we get anxious, we lose this sense of well-being. It's because we've forgotten God's wonderful, eternal, sacrificial care and love that he would give his only begotten son for us. We dwell on that. God, there's, there's no one more loved on earth than me because you have personally invested your son in my life. I am of, of, of all men not to be pitied. I'm to be exalted because I have Christ in me, a hope of glory. Oh, what a, what a blessing, what a joy we forget. So keep your mind fixed. Turn your anxiety back over to God, and you will have all the support you need. Uh, you know, he doesn't say anywhere in Scripture, if you're anxious, what you need is, well, you, don't you realize you just need some rules and some regulations? You need order. God's not a God of chaos. You need order, structure. And somebody says, no, you need to get freed up. You're no longer under the law. You just need freedom. That's not how God deals with the whole anxiety thing. God says, no, you want to deal with the anxiety? Have your mind fixed on me. And then pray about everything. Give me everything. Watch my overflowing care and love for you put you at peace and rest. God loves both order and diversity. No matter where you are, like I said, on that spectrum, you can have peace with God by giving it to God. Um, and he gives us peace in return. Another way of saying that, I said, cease striving in communion with God. Um, two ways we strive. We strive when we forget God and his support. I'll go back to that. But we also strive when we get our priorities out of whack. 
Look at the Mary Martha story again real quick. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet. So Mary's the one not worried about a thing. Listening to his word. But Martha was distracted. The emphasis is on distraction. With all her preparations. And she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Only one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha was doing good stuff, but she was distracted. She wasn't keeping her mind fixed on the Lord. She wasn't remembering the most important stuff. We, we get the priorities out of whack sometimes. We know that. We get so distracted. We get so me-centered. We need to get back to being Christ-centered and seeing, oh yeah, Mary's doing a good thing. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, that's far better than even eating a meal. Let's, let's rearrange these priorities. Let's figure out how we can do both and make Christ primary and Christ first. And we need to do that in all of our life to, to, to quit being so distracted. And maybe another way is quit being so busy with good stuff. And that's why I saved this for a second in the story. Look now at Psalm 46, verse 10. Psalm 46, verse 10. It's a very popular verse, but we a lot of times rip it out of its context. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, You may have a translation that says, Be still and know that I am God. You know it that way. Be still and know I am God. New American Standard translates it this way, and it's far better. It says, Cease striving and know that I am God. The point is not being still. Still, still is uh, a visual expression of not striving but you could be busy and still be at peace the problem is when we get busy and we're distracted from who's the priority here and it's God go back a few verses and you, and you see the context uh, Psalm 46 let's see I'll, I'll go back to verse 4 it says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God he's starting to illustrate you imagine a, a city that has a wall around it. And some of these cities were very special, the old-timey cities, when they had a river that ran through it or a spring that came up. That was far, even far better. Inside the city walls, because then if the enemy came and laid seeds to the walls, you still had water. If you got air and water, you can live a long time. And so the river in the city is a life support. And they didn't have the bombs we have today to cut off the water supply. So it was, it was really hard to defeat a city that had strong walls and a water supply. And God's describing himself that way. He said, I'm the river. There's a river whose streams makes glad the city of God. He said, I, I make my people glad because I'm in her midst. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. 
The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. Then we get to the verse. So cease striving. You see the point? God says, you're the people of God, right? You're in the city of God, right? And I am with you. I'm in your midst. I'm filling you with joy. I'm filling you with my presence. And when the nations rise up against you, I burn up chariots and I send warriors uh, to hell, literally. But for you, I'm there. So, why are you anxious? Why are you troubled? Be still. I mean, you, can, you can imagine them. We've got to fortify the walls. We've got to do something. Hush. I'm on your side. You're at peace with me. That's what matters. This interracial relational harmony you don't have with those outside the wall, no big deal. I can take care of that. And we need to see our lives that way sometimes. We're so busy. We're so frantic. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to make this deadline or I'll be crushed. And God says, no, you won't. Cease striving and know I'm with you and I love you and I care about you and I want to do so much for you if you'll just give it up. Martha, sit at my feet like Mary. And listen to my word and watch me work. Many times we're destroying the peace God is giving us by our own actions. We've got to learn to cease striving and to know God's work in our lives or we, we cut it off. It's, it's kind of like the, the mom or the, or, the, or the dad who says, oh good, mom's home. Oh good, dad's home. Whatever it is you needed, you know, Dad's now home, he can take care of it. Or mom's now home, she can take care of it. And that's what God is saying to this city of God. He says, don't you see? Dad's home. It's okay now. Everything's going to be fine. Quit your striving. The one who can handle it and the one who loves us and cares for us is with us. We need to learn to have that kind of communion with God resting in God's word, resting at his feet. He leads us, Psalm 23, where? Like a sheep to green pastures and still waters. The sheep wake up. We don't have to worry about where we're going to eat today. Shepherd takes care of that. They don't have to worry about when I'm going to get cool with water. The shepherd takes care of that. Do we not have a shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. Quit striving. He'll take care of the the meals. He'll take care of the cool drink, the refreshing we need. We often, doesn't mean we're not supposed to be responsible, but we get so busy and so anxious thinking it's all upon us. Trust in the Lord. Uh, there are times when we just, we get tempted to be extremely frantic in our behavior and we don't need to be. Look at uh, a couple more verses. Uh, John 16 verse 27. We looked at John 14, 27. Now let's look at John 16. 27, Jesus continues his theme of peace for the disciples. And he says, John 16, 27, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from 
the Father. We get that. God, God the Father loves us. God the Son loves us. He fills us with His Spirit. Then go down to verse 32. Behold, an hour is coming. It's already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet, I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. He says, you're going to see me abandoned and left, and I'm going to be on a cross, and I'm going to be crucified, but no troubles. Lay your troubles down. That's not going to be a big deal. Why? Because the Father loves me. I will never be out of the Father's love. And, and, and have I told you the Father loves you? So that when I go through this, and you see how I am taken care of, when you see how I am raised again, I want you to remember the same God who does that for me does that for you. Maybe the emphasis has not been too much on the Father's love for you. It's been more on my love for you. But he said, I want you to know we are one. The Father loves you. So that what he does in enabling me to overcome the world, he does for you. So we should be at peace. God is is blessing us with such peace. Um, it just, it's just invaluable to be able to get in a car today with all the swerving with cell phones. And as, as much value as I put in the seatbelt and the airbag, now I really, I just, it's just like every week I expect to be killed by head-on collision. You know, it's like, I, I don't, I grew up without, my first car didn't have a seatbelt. You know, we finally bolted some down. You know, so I, I grew up without the seatbelt error. And, but now I think, boy, you need it more than ever. Not because of, I don't fear being slung for the car. I'm, feel, I'm, I'm expecting that head-on collision. Somebody looking down at their phone, ah! you know, boom, it's over. But what peace but that's all right, I'm okay. I'm with the Lord. He's, he loves me. And no matter what's happened to me, that peace has not been destroyed. I'm still in perfect peace with Him. That's fruit of the Spirit. And that's something God's church, God's people has. We possess we're so special to be loved by God that way. You know, I was thinking we have this opportunity with communion every week to, to have just a moment in our service to just look at Jesus in our heart, our mind. His body, His blood. It's, it's communion with Him. And I just want to think about Romans 8 with you for a minute before we jump into that. Romans 8 says, there, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So if I were to die like that, God says, no condemnation. I'm not going to condemn David. Maybe I was sinning at the last moment. Still no condemnation. Jesus has paid for that sin. God says, I don't need to pour out my wrath on David. I've already poured out my wrath for David on Jesus. So the wrath's been poured out. David gets to go free. 
come on into heaven. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. So set your mind on the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. What a fruit. What a gift God has given us. Every week, perhaps, if you're you're wondering, how do I deal with this communion time? This is one thing you can do. is say, God, my mind's not been fixed on you like it should be this week. This is my time to remember. Christ died. His body was given. His blood was spilt to cover my sin and make me one who has life and peace. So let me eat that up. Let me drink that up. And let me come to a place of not striving, not being anxious, and set my mind on you again and start the first day of this week to live in this wonderful state of peace with God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before the Lord's table, what a meal for us. You say, remember me. Remember the Lord's death until He comes. Proclaim it, that the death of Christ has done us good. It's put us into a state of no condemnation, into a state of being removed from superficial peace into real, genuine peace with God. Hallelujah. We're so thrilled in Your presence. We're not worried. We're not distraught. We're not anxious. The Prince of Peace has come to us and died in our place. We praise you and we sing with joy to you. Father, may this be a special time just to reflect and thank you. For those here in this room who don't have that peace yet, their their soul is still like the tossing tide and it's troubled. Lord, come to them. Send your spirit. Grant them life Grant them trust by grace. Give them faith in Christ, their only hope. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.